Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Creator Talks. My guest on this episode is another insane comics creator. No, he's not insane, but he publishes work through Insane Comics and he is a really nice guy. Uh, I have a very interesting conversation with Mike Heikemper. Now Mike is the creator and writer of the comic book Freedom Fighter, published through Insane Comics which is a superhero comic book, an action comic book. Now, what makes it so different? Well, there's an underlying conspiracy, and that is the hook. We talk about the comic book, how it was developed, and its long road to finally being published. Now, Mike has an interesting day job. He buys houses, works on them, and sells them. And I know from personal experience how difficult it can be to renovate a house. So we talk about home renovation, We also talk about Mike's life on a farm, where he grew up and spent some time working and how that influenced his work. And that's what makes Creator Talks unique out there in the comic books podcasting world. It's interviews with the creators, not just about their work, but about them, their influences, their life, what they do, who they are, so you get a chance to know who the creators are. My mission is to dig beyond the things you'll find on the internet or you'll see in written interviews. I'm trying to get to the heart of the matter, what inspires the creator, and what they're all about. Like what you hear? Subscribe. iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. All right, then, let's get on to my conversation with Mike and his work on Freedom Fighter and a whole lot more. Here now on Creator Talks. Today I'm with writer Michael Heikemper, who created Freedom Fighter, the world's first government-owned and operated superhero. Now, the original Freedom Fighter was killed in action, and his place was taken by Jason Bloom. Mike, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Chris. So, uh, Freedom Fighter, the first issue, uh, I should say rather, the final issue, number four, was released fairly recently in May, and it's been a long road for you and your artist, A.J. Fulcher, who met online eight years ago. That's how you guys met, was online? Uh, yeah, we did. Uh, we met online. Uh, I was looking for an artist to collaborate on a project, and it wasn't Freedom Fighter. And for the life of me, I don't think either of us can remember what it was that we were getting ready to work on. But that project fell apart, and uh, we stayed in touch and have worked on a couple of things, you know, that may never see the light of day. <laughs> but uh, we've had a pretty good friendship in comics ever since. And all the details of, you know, about how this all came about tend to get lost through the mists of time. People really don't think about, oh, I contributed this and this person contributed that. But one thing's for sure, you were looking to do a superhero title and a superhero with a history, and there had to be some kind of underlying conspiracy. So um, those were the essential ingredients that you wanted. And this was supposed to be, for you guys, a warm-up book. That's right. We, We really didn't know what we were doing. We thought we did. Whenever we first started, I mean, this was seven or eight years ago, and um, we really just kind of knew how we would make a book. And as we started to make our book, we kind of realized, hey, we're doing it wrong. We learned as we went, and finally, Freedom Fighter, it, it just uh, took on a life of its own and became a book we wanted to publish. Uh, but really, it was just an idea that we had to kind of start out and practice with and see if we could we could actually create a book. And uh, it, it, I think it turned out pretty good. And it was a long road. I mean, it was not easy. You shopped around to nine different publishers, including some fairly big ones, trying to find a publisher rather than do it yourself, publishing your own books, try to find a good outlet 
for your work, you know, finally got underway, you got issue one out, and then something happened. Uh, yeah, the first publisher, they had, I don't know if they just didn't have their business plan uh, right, or maybe they bit off more than they could chew, but they decided to uh, drop all of the books that they were publishing and uh, focus on publishing books that they themselves had created. So after we had already released issue one and we were getting ready to release issue two with them, they uh, they just called us up and said, hey, we're, we're not going to do it anymore. Sorry. And more or less goodbye. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was a really, it was a big stab in the back, really. Uh, uh, I don't want to go into details on who they are or whatever. I just don't think it's appropriate, but it, um, it sucked for a little bit. We didn't know what was going to happen with this book that we brought so far and we thought we had finally made it. And then suddenly we don't get to finish it, you know? Um, but uh, after that happened, we were really thinking about just self-publishing it from that point because we figured who's going to pick up an indie superhero book that's been dropped by another publisher. I mean, that's kind of just hanging a red flag up on the book saying, hey, it's, somebody didn't like it or, you know, uh, unless you get to tell the story of how uh, why they dropped us that, you know, most people are just going to turn away and say, hey, we don't want it, you know. But uh, it wasn't long we was uh, able to get a contract with Insane Comics, and uh, they've been a great publisher to us ever since. And the important thing about this is, and I think what people need to understand, is that you guys never said die. You never gave up. You kept plugging away until this book got published. And so from issue one, when it was first published through another publisher, to the mm -hmm. final issue that just came out, was it, how many years was it that it actually took to actually get the whole thing out? Oh, uh, it was just last year that uh, the other publisher had dropped us. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. It, it all happened pretty quick, actually. Okay, so it pretty quickly also got picked up by Insane Comics, so that all four issues came out fairly regularly, and now they're all, you can get them all through Insane Comics, or through Comicology if you prefer to use that way. At some point, you're hoping to put together a trade paperback collection, possibly? I believe that's something that, uh, well, last we spoke with uh, James Munch, the publisher at Insane Comics, he, uh, he had asked us questions about extras and stuff that we could put into a trade, and uh, AJ and I have been coming up with different ideas to put in there, different concepts and, uh, I'm sorry, concept artwork that we could put into the back of the book, just a lot of extras and, uh, it's coming together. I, I don't know when we can expect to, you know, print that out or anything, but, uh, it's definitely part of the plan. My suggestion, if I may throw one out there, is you should put in there the story of the road to getting this published without getting into who the previous publisher was, of course, but... It's an inspiring story that you guys kept plugging away until you found a home for Freedom Fighter. And uh, tell me a bit about the character. I gave a quick overview about it, and I don't want any spoilers or anything, of course, but anything you can share to our listeners that would say, hey, you know what, this is a unique superhero comic book. There's a lot out there, so how do you distinguish this one from the others in the marketplace? The current Freedom Fighter is a bit of a rookie. He, uh, he really got sandbagged into being the Freedom Fighter. He's a guy that was an FBI agent. And uh, he had, you know, in his first year in the FBI, and uh, he happened to have the same jawline and the same build as the original Freedom Fighter whenever he was supposedly killed off. And uh, so they recruited him and said, hey, you know, uh, can you do this? You'd be great for the country. And he, he jumped right at the chance because, hey, who wouldn't want to be a superhero, you know? And um, so he's got a lot of, um, a lot of learning to do. But uh, he's also got a lot of gadgets that they gave him to help him along the way. And um, 
he is uh they send him on a bunch of um missions that are not so much sanctioned by the government but rather things that are helping the bureaucrats that are uh, pushing him around and uh the story more or less centers around him discovering what really happened to the first freedom fighter and um him learning that the guys that he's working for aren't exactly who they say they are. From what I read, he was a fairly uh, upstanding individual trying to do the right thing and not questioning oh, yeah. his superiors at all. He's just like, okay, well, this is this is what they want me to do, and I'm going to carry out the orders. And they're trying to you know, make him comfortable and give him all his wishes and his needs, even though they may not be his wishes and needs, but things that, mm-hmm. you know, hey, we have everything you want here, drinks, women, you know, everything. And he's like, okay, fine, I guess. I mean, but that's the way they're yeah. trying to uh, – to, to bring him in to the fold to uh, to do their bidding, which they really don't need to because he just wants to do the right thing. Right. That was one of the features of him that, you know, the, the characters that recruited him, they saw that he was able to be manipulated. So, uh, you know, they picked up on that and said, hey, this guy will be perfect. <laughs> one of the themes behind the book that it kind of reminded me of – a book from way back when I was a kid reading a Marvel comic. Um, and I know you're a comic fanatic, so maybe you've read this too at some point. It was a what-if story uh, that was, I believe, Roy Thomas wrote it. Um, and I'm just doing this off the top of my head since I don't have it in front of me. But uh, it was, what if the invaders stayed together after World War II? And spoilers to an old comic book, just in case someone hasn't read it yet, um, that Captain America in that issue is killed, I believe, and his place has to be taken by someone else. I think it was by the Patriot, so that that legacy and that spirit could live on for the country, which is kind of what's happened here with Jason Bloom, is that that figure is so important to the spirit and patriotism of the country that someone needs to take his place, and it must go on. And that kind of connected with me when I was reading the story. It's like, oh, yeah, it kind of has that same not, – it's not the same thing, but it's very different in, that, in other regards, like you talked about, about being yeah, manipulated. Yeah, I haven't read that yeah, I just uh, I, I kind of like that idea of taking the mantle on and not making it transparent to the public. Yeah, I haven't read that one, but I've got a lot of the what if books, and I really like those. Those are those are a lot of fun to read because it's always neat to see your character that you know you enjoy reading about, but also see him go in a different direction without any of the uh, outstanding circumstances with, of the story. You know, um, but yeah, I, I haven't read that one. I have to look for that. Yeah, those old ones are a lot of fun. I mean, today, pretty much anything goes to. Uh, sell the book and get things. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm talking about like Marvel, DC, like anything that kind of shakes things up, but back. And even though they do tend to stick with the status quo today, to some extent, things go back to the way they were because these are intellectual properties that there's a lot of merchandising tied to. They do tend to shake things up a little more nowadays and take more risks and break the heroes. But back in the seventies, things pretty much went along a, a path of staying within a certain guideline of how the hero should act and behave and how they should always go back to the status quo. So they, what if books were fun because you would find out things about the characters. Like what if Daredevil were not blind? What if Spider-Man did join the Fantastic Four? And one of my favorites was number three, what if the Avengers had never been? That was a great story. Um, yes. I don't know if you've read that one, but um, you know, let's talk a bit about you. We'll find out what you have read. Uh, you uh, grew up on a farm. Yeah, that's right. Wow. And so what was the, uh, what was the main crop or, uh, was it the, you know, livestock or? Well, it was a little bit of everything. My dad, uh, he, he was a farmer. He grew up that way. And, uh, uh, whenever I was younger, he raised hogs and, uh, I guess the hog market crashed at some point, probably whenever I was 10 or so. And he got rid of them all. And, uh, he still farms a lot of cows and, uh, he farms grains, corn and, uh, soybeans and, uh, uh, a lot of, 
mowing hay and baling hay and sometimes I still get dragged in that to help out because it's it's a big job <laughs> not one I really wanted to stick with to be honest though um, just not much for it <laughs> yeah I was going to say do you miss that at times some of the I guess you could say a somewhat uh, technologically disconnected life I'm not saying totally but I'm just saying just a chance sure. to step away from all the buzz and noise and actually be in the quiet of the farm and doing well, something different well okay maybe it's not so quiet <laughs> yeah well you know there's some truth to that but that that's also pretty good uh you know a lot of ideas that I got uh for writing some of my books was probably actually riding around on a tractor you know just driving back and forth in the field and you know the tractor's humming and it's a lot of white noise to block out everything that's going on uh and you got a lot of time to think so uh yeah I mean sometimes I guess you could say I missed it but uh, it's not something I need to go <laughs> and live tomorrow, you know? Sure. Yeah. It's nice to visit. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, but, farmers are super important though. I mean, yeah. they really are. I mean, nobody, nobody will have any food or anything around here without them. Well, it's a tough life because you're dependent upon the environment too. Like uh, what the weather's going to be like that year. Is it the drought? Uh, yeah. Pests and, uh, insects fighting back against those and the way they have evolved over the years against the pesticides and everything. It's, it's tough. I mean, you're really dependent upon the environment for your living. Yeah, and then uh, there definitely aren't very many days off in between. I mean, there's hardly any weekends or vacations. You just you can't walk away from some of it all the time. Yeah, it's a long day, but I do envy them in a way. It's hard work, but I would think physically it's probably better for you doing that hard work than sitting at a desk all day because <laughs> yeah. you have to find <laughs> ways to, to get some activity so that you don't just uh, start to fall apart. But at least on a farm, you're always moving. Um, yeah, that's right. <laughs> What do you do for a day job? We actually uh, work on houses. We, uh, My wife and I, we buy houses. We flip them. We have some rentals that we uh, rent out around here, and uh, it's working out pretty good for us. Oh, I envy you because uh, I used to – I mean not for work, but um, way back when I was growing up, I would – you know, became an adult. I bought a house and I, I worked on it. Not not necessarily to flip, but I did the the home renovation because I couldn't afford a really nice place, so I had to get an yeah. old townhouse. Um, act, I say townhouse. That's a nice way of saying row house. But it, <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's the fancy upscale. It's a townhouse, but it was yeah. uh, it was in a pretty nice neighborhood. Um, nice. I didn't even know it existed. I live in Delaware, and I had no idea that this part of Delaware existed until. My wife showed it to me, and I was like, oh, my God, I didn't know this place existed. And it's uh, the name of it is Old Newcastle. And you've probably, okay. you've probably heard of Williamsburg, Virginia. Yes. Well, when they were looking at a place to have this historic town, they were considering two. One was Old Newcastle, and the other was Williamsburg, and they went with Williamsburg. So it's that kind of setting where there are houses back to the 1700s and 1800s. And I lived uh, about a block away from the historic district. So I could do whatever I wanted for the most part without getting permits special permits because once you're oh, in the, wow. yeah well once you're in the historic district you know if you wanted to replace your screen door it had to be wood uh yeah, it has to be of that uh time period <laughs> absolutely yeah so um you know it, it there's certain restrictions but it was nice to be that close so uh my first wife and I spent a lot of time fixing up that house to make it livable and it was pretty decent um, and then, you know, we moved out and got a you know, big house, you know, one of the new, new built houses, which is nice, but I kind of miss the charm of the older houses because when you, you've worked on a lot of houses and just mm -hmm. some of the woodwork and the, the hardware on the doors, you can't find some of those things today on the older houses. I mean, they, they have that charm. Like these houses had those like, uh, porcelain doorknobs. 
Yeah. And they were real yeah. solid wood doors. And <laughs> so when yeah, I moved, uh, those are hard to come across. <laughs> and I would think you try to, I guess, keep as much of that as you can in the That's houses right. that you're working on because they do cost a pretty penny now. In fact, when they tear down houses, a lot of those things get sold to resellers because people are looking for them. You know, the old yeah, a lot course. of people take that stuff around here and just turn it into folk art, art also, and, uh, ah. which is pretty cool. But, you know, I'll go to a show and I'll see it up there. And it's like, oh, we need that. But <laughs> we don't need it for a couple hundred dollars. <laughs> you know, it's like you were saying, those porcelain doorknobs and even the cast iron ones that they used to make it, they're, they're really hard to come across. But I've, I've actually got a box full of them out in my garage for whenever I need them. <laughs> oh, great. That's... Yeah, we salvage everything we can. You have to. Yeah, it's really smart. Yeah. Um, when uh, Before I met my second wife um, and my current wife, I'm not like counting. This is one, two, three, four. <laughs> <laughs> I, told, I told my wife, that's it. That's it. You're, you're a gem. That's it. I'm done. <laughs> I give. But uh, I moved back to the same neighborhood a block down from where I lived before. And I bought a house, uh, and, and they were fairly cheap to buy back then in that neighborhood, and it needed a lot of work. It was a, uh, a lady that lived there that moved out, lived their, their whole life, didn't have any kids, lived alone. So that it was like wall-to-wall green carpet, uh, no cable. It was just like the old TV antenna. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I looked at it and said, this will do. And uh, the inspector said, well, you have hardwood floors, but they've been painted around the edges because back – this house was built in like 1910 – row house Mm -hmm. and they would paint around the edges maybe you've seen this in some of the houses where they paint the edges and they put a carpet in the center because they couldn't afford to have all the floors done and i said "Ah, they could be refinished uh so you can imagine being one who renovates houses yourself i couldn't sand the floor with a belt sander because i kept breaking belts because the floor was so uneven so i took a oh really yeah like one of those big belt sanders it would just go snap and i was like oh man so i got a i got a hand belt sander and, and I punched down all the nails because it was surface nailed with cut nails. And oh my I, goodness! Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they were they were like they were wide plank boards. I mean, these are not boards you can find now. And I hand sanded each one with the belt sander, like a hand belt sander. And it took me huh. de- took me weeks. Then I finished the floor, and it looked okay. <laughs> but I had to were strip- they at least tongue and groove. I mean, <laughs> yes, yes, they were. And um, and they and I stripped all the paint off around the edges with uh, chemicals and with a heat gun. And I would just sit there with the radio, listen to the radio, and just be working for all day on weekends and at nights. And I finally got it done. And uh, you know, several years later, I met my wife and got married, and we lived there for a while. And then we had to move into a bigger house, and we sold it. And we, we did okay because uh, I had been there, ooh, seven years. And uh, we, then we worked on it together too to kind of make things look a little nicer and brighter, like painting the paneling because it had some paneling mm-hmm. in it because – You've probably dealt with these houses with plaster. Yeah. And you know, as doing home renovation, how heavy plaster is when you have to tear it down and haul it out. And what a it's, mess. It's a very messy job. It's <laughs> one that requires a lot of dust. <laughs> it does. It does. A lot of cleanup. Yeah. And this plaster had horse hair in it because it was so old. That's how they bound it together. Really? Yes. You could see the wow. little hair stick. Yeah. And it was plaster and lath. So you'd have to pull out the lath. And yeah. the local garbage men, the city garbage men, they would take the plaster, but you know you couldn't put too much in a trash can. Otherwise, they'd be cursing you because you'd break your back trying to lift that stuff. Yeah, when we're tearing into these houses and we run across that plaster and lat board, you know, I, I keep thinking about, gosh, it must have taken somebody forever to nail up every one of these little strips of wood, yes. every stud with yeah. these little square nails, because uh, you know they didn't have nail guns or anything back then. So, no, no. Um, 
and I saved a lot of the nails because this plaster and lath, you know, we're talking like 1910 or so, they're all hand-cut mm -hmm. nails. They're the cut nails. Yeah. They're not, you know, the, the wire nails we have now. And, yeah, they did all that by hand. So a lot of places, uh, they people would just put paneling over top because it was too mm -hmm. much expense and work to have all those plaster walls fixed. And the other cool thing, too, was, and you've probably seen this, too, is the lights in the house, the switches, were the old push button. One button for on and one button for off. I've actually never run across that. Oh, okay. Instead of a switch, you know, it was like huh. two buttons. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. And oh, uh, I've never seen that. That's cool. <laughs> and I just had some old plastic plates over those. But the business that my parents used to have, and that was they did um, upholstery work, uh, custom material mm -hmm. work. Their building had the same kind of switch plate. So I said, can I can I use that switch plate? So I had a nice brass one I put in the house. <laughs> I was like, sca I was, I was scavenging for my parents' business building. I said, can I use that? <laughs> and it's fun when I, I watch when I watch old movies, I see those switches in the uh in the houses, you know, old black and white twenty and thirty films. <laughs> wow. No, I, I don't think I've ever seen anything like that. I've I, just a flip off and on switch, you know, is what we normally have around here. What is the strangest thing you've found when you've been renovating a house to sell? Like bottles as your, of as poison. What's that? Bottles of poison? Poison bottles. Me <laughs> <laughs> uh, and one of the guys that works with me, he, uh, we were just tearing apart the overhang in this house. And th this is why it's odd is that they were in the overhang, you know, that uh, overhangs the outside of the house. A whole bunch of old little small glass poison bottles uh, that had skull and crossbones on them, you know, and said poison you know, embedded in them. I, I've actually still got some of them because they were so cool. I got them up on my shelf. <laughs> uh, but I think we found something like 12 or 15 of them. And it was just like, well, why are they up here? This house doesn't have an attic or anything. How did they get here? You know, um, it, it was like somebody was trying to hide them or something, you know. Uh, so, but uh, we actually split them up between, well, the three of us that were working there that day. And, uh, uh I understand uh, Johnny, one of the guys that worked with us, he uh, he sold his three, got $80 for him, which I thought was kind of cool. So, Oh, yeah, those old uh, glass bottles, they can be worth yeah. quite a bit. I mean, I found some in some of the houses in Old Newcastle in the basements because my first house, it had a dirt floor basement. Mm -hmm. they, they never did finish it at all. Um, it was just brick foundation and dirt floor. And I would find them be dug out before, you ever yeah. dug out after the house. Yeah, it may hit. Yes, very possible. And I would find glass bottles here and there. The old, mm -hmm. You can see the old hand-blown type glass with the bubbles in the glass yeah. and like medicine bottles and things like that. So it was really cool to find some of those things. Um, in fact, both houses did not have an attic that you could access. It had a shared attic with the other two-row houses. It was open. I don't know if you've seen that where they don't have a firewall. It's just an open a-frame. Okay. Yeah, which is so kind it's of... A, a two-family house. Yeah, well, these they usually connected like three or four row houses together. And they, you know, of course, separated by walls. But in the attic space, there was no separation. It was oh, one big attic. So if there's a fire, you know, it could spread. So what I would do, I did this with both houses. I, I cut an access to the attic because it wasn't accessible. Mm -hmm. Jump through, I would cut strips of plywood and put it in the attic as a floor after I insulated. And then I got some fireproof drywall and laying up there, I would cut it and I would make a firewall in the attic. And and then once I'd partitioned off my attic space the best I could with fireproof caulking and all, then I would put an attic fan in there so I could draw the heat out because there were no attic fans. Oh, no, there was no ventilation. So in the summertime, you would roast in those houses. Yeah. 
So, uh, yeah, there's some really fun things you can do with renovation. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's it's just really, other than farming, and I had a little stint in uh, mechanical maintenance that I took a year off to do all that. I actually worked in a jail for about a year and a half, uh, not as a prisoner, but as facilities maintenance guy. And it was a little bit of a creepy job, to mm-hmm. be honest. Because, you know, you always just looking over your back, cops watching you and making sure you don't carry something in and make right. sure you carry out all your tools that you brought in. Uh, and uh, it was really awkward whenever you go in there, your boss is with you. And then, oh, you notice somebody that you know in there, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and they try to talk to you. And it's like, hey, I'm working, buddy. <laughs> and uh, yeah, uh, but uh, building, working on houses, you know, it's it's a lot of fun. It's hard work. And it's just nice to be able to work for myself, to be honest. Yeah, that must give you a certain sense of uh, pride in the work and the freedom you have, too. And it's, oh, it's yeah. there's skills that a lot of people just don't have anymore. And I envy people that are really good at that. I'm not really good at it. Uh, but to be able to actually renovate an entire house yourself and to have the mechanical aptitude, too, to do some of the work you do mechanically is, is fantastic because it's kind of – more people need to understand some of the basics so they can make some simple repairs. Um, but – Hats off, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, I had a good teacher. My dad, he uh, he actually owned a company uh, building houses and uh, turned into more of a vinyl siding business uh, toward the end. But uh, he more or less taught me everything he knows as far as houses go. So, and uh, well, he, he's a pretty smart guy, too. No, that's great. That's great. Let's talk a bit about uh, comics. Now, you are a comics fanatic. And I would like to know, yeah. to what extent does that fanaticism go? Please share with well, me your, your love of the books. It doesn't go as far as it used to just because, you know, the money isn't there to buy books like I used to. But uh, I used to make, you know, two or three trips to the comic shop, you know, oh, before I had kids because it was fun to just go through the back issues in different shops and uh, see what I could find, build a collection. Uh, I was into Spider-Man and Batman mostly. Uh, back in the day, they they were just my favorite characters. Uh, but every now and then, I'd pick up some X Men books, uh, several of the X or X titles, you know. Uh, but I really didn't get into indie comics until I decided to write my own comic book and see, you know, I had to really dig into it and see what um, what was out there and what what it was all about. And uh, from there, you know, I started with Image and. Uh, to be honest, I, I wasn't crazy about anything that they printed, but um, uh, well, I can't say that either. There were some books in there that I liked. Uh, Spawn and uh, Savage Dragon was a little boring, <laughs> but um, you know, I, I, I'll read just about anything anymore. You know, I'm not just hey, it's got to be Spider Man or Batman. I, I read all kinds of different titles. Uh, a lot of the movies that come out today, uh, you know most people don't realize a lot of those are made from indie comic books, you know, um, trying to think of some, well, the wanted, yeah. wanted series yeah. read, um, there's, there's a lot of good ones. And the road to perdition was also yeah. an, an indie comic book. I had no idea either too, until I went to go see it. I didn't either. And I don't remember who told me that, but I was like, really, that was a comic. <laughs> Cause I saw the movie and, uh, I liked the movie. The movie was pretty cool with Tom Hanks. And, yes. There's, uh, a, there's a lot out there that people don't realize that this is a that's very fertile ground for movies. Yeah, exactly. And 
it, it is really crazy how many books are out there get turned into movies and people don't realize that it was once a comic book. And uh, most people think, oh, it's just uh, superhero movies that get turned, you know, that were comic books. But there's a lot of other titles. That's why I think uh, superhero movies and movies based on comics are going to be in the works for a long time to come because there are so many different genres within comics. I mean, you can do horror, you can do superhero, and all the indie books, they can be very grounded crime stories. They could be ghost stories, uh, science fiction stories, futuristic stories, time travels. There's so much you can do. It's endless. And I'm sure a lot of the creators aren't looking to be in film at some point to have their work translated to the big screen, but sometimes that works out. I think if you don't make it your objective you might luck out you don't, if you don't focus too much on just trying to get there without doing the work to build a very strong foundation through the print uh, of your book or digital, as the case may be, and building a very strong following. Yeah. I mean, I found that to be true for sure. You know, whenever I first started writing, of course, you know, I had an idea for a book that I wrote and I thought, oh, this is going to be big. I'm going to be a millionaire. I'm going to be so famous. And, you know, after you kind of let that go and bring yourself down to reality that, hey, you know, just enjoy writing this, the book and making it, it, it really changes it. And uh, I enjoy it a lot more. I enjoy writing a lot more than what I used to just because I'm really just writing it for myself now. And if people, other people get to read it because someone published it, I mean, that's, that's just a perk. And uh, any money that I make off of, of course, that's a perk also. I, I I really just like creating. And uh, one of the things that I really like about creating comics is you get uh, more than one person's perspective of your idea. You know, whenever I'm writing a story, I can see it in my head how I want it to look. So I write the script and you send it to the artist and uh, the artist, they'll read it, start drawing it. And whenever you get the first sample of, uh, of the first page and you're like, that's not how I saw it, but I really like that. And then uh, to see it go to the other colorist and the inker or the inker and the colorist and uh, actually see it really come to life. It, it's neat to see everyone's different perspective and how it's supposed to look, how the lighting of the scene is. And uh, it, it comes together really cool, you know, and it's a good feeling to watch. It, it is. It, you know, I, to have a collaboration with someone else and to have that back and forth then the two people or three people or however many are working on the book, the collective efforts of all of them become bigger than the sum of the parts. And um, tell me a bit about your artist on the series, A.J. Fulcher. He's a phenomenal pencilist and artist altogether. I mean, he, uh, he's he been drawing, oh gosh, I think he said he's been drawing since he was three or four. And, uh, you know, his detail that he puts into some of his work is really great. Uh, He's, I think he's got a real big future in comics. He's worked on a, a couple books, a couple other indie books. Uh, and uh, this is, uh, me and him are actually working on a, another book that uh, we hope to find a place for someday. <laughs> but Freedom Fighter, I think, is uh, his second published book. I think his first one was a book called Strength Monsters. Uh, something about monsters wrestling. I, I've only read it once, you know, and it was online. And I was having trouble actually downloading it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he's a great artist in San Diego and, uh, uh, I don't know what much more I can say. He's a super cool guy. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, just have some fun questions for you. These are not related to comics per se, but, uh, wanted to ask you, 
and I know you do restoration work, but what do you like to do for rest and relaxation when you have the time to put down the tools, you're not writing, what do you do? We go camping. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, me and my wife, we uh, we decided after we had kids, you know, we've got two boys, 10 and 12. And about seven years ago, uh, we ran across a camper for sale and we thought, hey, that might be fun. And so we bought a used camper and took it camping and fell in love and, you know, just getting away, being away from everything. And a couple of years later, we dropped the money on a brand new camper and we, we try to go camping in the summertime and the springtime and the fall time at least twice a month, you know, because it's just a nice getaway. The kids get to go and kind of free range riding their bikes around, hitting the trails and stuff. And uh, uh, I just like to sit out around the fire and hang out and uh, meet meet different people out there at the campsites. It's a lot of fun. Oh, that's great. I'm sure the, the boys love that too, getting a chance oh, yeah. to just get out and expend all that energy. Um, yeah. I, said, I said on the podcast uh, previously I got back from a trip uh, a few weeks ago in uh, Shenandoah with uh, the wife and my two boys who are five years and nine months old. So mm-hmm. they're, they're a little small to be, uh, and young to be running around on, you know, in parks. But one of them, the five-year-old, he loves it. He ran around like crazy on the trails. He just couldn't wait to go hiking. So that's, it's great to see your kids love the outdoors as much as you do and have as much fun. Yeah. So I'm glad your family enjoys it as much as you do. You're all together someplace peaceful and quiet, enjoying the great outdoors. But at least, you know, you're not sleeping under the stars. You do have your camper, which is smart. <laughs> yeah, we, we don't really go camping. That's what I tell people. We we just have a, a little house we pull behind our truck and, you know, take mm-hmm. it different places. <laughs> no, I, I, yeah, I hear you. <laughs> it, I mean, I used to camp in a tent, and I can't stand that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit rough. Yeah. I, yeah I, even I, with an air mattress, it, it just yeah. doesn't happen very well. <laughs> I, I do like some of the uh, modern luxuries that we have now, the running water and, uh, you know, a nice a nice soft bed. I mean, usually yeah. I stay in a cabin or a hotel or a motel or something. I don't just rough it. Um, and I think yeah. we're, we're all the better people the next morning, too, if we don't do that. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. You know, if you wake up and you feel like crap, what's the point in going? You're, you're just eager to go home and sleep in your bed. <laughs> yeah. I mean, unless that's your objective to see if you can stick it out and like, you know, hiking the Appalachian Trail. I've run into people that are doing that. I'll be out hiking in the mountains with my wife. And like when we went on a trip to Vermont, we ran past the people and one guy in particular was hiking the whole trail. Top oh, to wow. bottom. Yeah, the top to bottom. And then what they would do is they get to a town, they would just maybe break off for supplies. They might mm-hmm. stay overnight, but then they're back on the trail. Uh, I don't know how they do it physically, um, work-wise, <laughs> financially. Yeah, that's, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, I mean. <laughs> what is your life like? <laughs> I, I don't know. It, it must be fairly solitary. Either that I or they're, so. they're very independently wealthy or they're on sabbatical from university or something and they're just hiking. I don't know. But that's that would be really cool to do. But I, I don't know if I could do that now. <laughs> yeah, uh, my kids, they've been wanting to do a trip like that. They uh, We – Oh, last year we got into the TV show. I don't know if you've seen it, Alone. Have you ever seen that? Uh, where they more or less put some people out in the woods and they're completely alone. They have a few supplies and they just see how they do. They got to build their shelter and stuff. And okay. my boys, they just they want to uh, they want to do something like that. And I'm thinking, guys, I don't know. We'll, we might, but I'll <laughs> bet you, you know, after the first night, y'all are going to be ready to go home. <laughs> yeah, you're going to need a plan B for that one. <laughs> yeah, because. You know, we're going to need to at least take a tent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Definitely have a fallback plan just in case things go sideways. Yeah. <laughs> now, speaking of camping uh, and roughing it, if you were stuck on a desert island and you only had one book with you, 
no electricity, it has to be a book, and it can be a set of books if they're all related, what would that book be? Oh, that's a tough one. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. You know, would it be odd to say a blank book, something I could fill in? No, it's not odd at all. That's, that's Actually, I've never had that answer before. That's No, that's fine. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. It'd have to be an unlimited number of pages, of course. Cause, I mean, I, I can never read a book more than once. You know, I read it once and, okay, that was a great story or whatever it was, you know. But uh, I usually just set the book on the shelf or give it away to somebody because after I've read it once, I'm probably never going to go back and read it again. Uh, the only thing I really do that with is comic books, and that's if I need to reference something. Uh but, uh, yeah, as far as, yeah, I'd have to say a blank book, something that I could just sit and write in and uh, make my own story with, I guess. Oh, okay. Keep track good. of the days. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, me too. It's In terms of reading, it's hard for me to go back and read something again just because of time and how much yeah. is out there now. And I know some people I talk to, they read the same book like once a year or twice a year. Um, and yeah, I can't do that. Yeah. There's a few books I've done it with, but now as, you know, as I get older and – kids and everything it's like when am i going to find the time because just to, like mm -hmm. you said i mean i'm reading comics that i enjoy and for reference there are books i want to read i mean actual prose books i really want to get to and i get to them a little bit at a time but it's really hard to get enough time in the day or a number of days consecutively enough so i don't forget what i just read and have to start mm -hmm. all over again <laughs> yeah uh no I, i've never been the one that could read a book more than once either it just you know you've read the story or you know, if it's, like I said, some kind of reference book, uh, uh, that's different. But if it's a book with a story, fictional novel, or even nonfiction, you know, um, yeah, I just read it once and hand it off to someone if I can. So, Now, I understood completely. <laughs> now, final question. Your beverage of choice when you're kicking back, relaxing? doesn't have to be on the desert island, too. Uh, this could just be, <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not the one drink. <laughs> so what do you like to drink to, for, for pleasure, for relaxation? Uh, I'm actually mostly a water guy, but I like a nice glass of sweet tea every now and then. Uh, and that's hard to come across sometimes whenever we go to travel. Uh, and you say you live in Delaware. Yes. Uh, if we go out East or anywhere North of, uh, Indianapolis, really, it's hard to find a glass of sweet tea anywhere, you know, that's true. And, uh, McDonald's, I know they're around here anyway. I know they advertise their sweet tea like mad, like, Hey, it's the best ever. And it's super sweet. And, we don't ever eat McDonald's, but uh, if we're out and it's the only thing that's available, we'll, we'll pull in there. And I wanted a sweet tea. I think we were in Chicago. And, uh, you know, I thought, well, I can get a good sweet tea at McDonald's. They didn't have it. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it blew my mind. I was like, what do you mean you don't have sweet tea? And they're like, oh, you must be from the South. <laughs> right. Not that right? far South. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and uh, I, I just think that's kind of funny that uh, sweet tea is something that's, you know, it's just not regular out that way or up that way. It's true. I have uh, family uh, in the South. Uh, my, my father's from the South, uh, actually North Carolina. And uh, that was something they would ask me, like, do you want sweet tea? I'm like, what's that? Um, <laughs> and, and recently we went down to Shenandoah. We were in Luray, Virginia. That's the nearby town near the, the park. And on the menu it would have sweet tea. And I don't mm -hmm. see that up here in Delaware. But, yeah, once you get south on the East Coast, they have sweet tea. <laughs> and I can't eat – I can't drink unsweetened tea. It's just it, – I just don't like it. It's so bitter and bland. And uh, I don't know. If you're into it, that's great. But not me. <laughs> I need some sugar. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, all right. Michael, this has been great. And uh, your book, Freedom Fighter, 
is being published right now through Insane Comics. It's yeah. available on the website, print and digital, four issues, and hopefully soon as trade. And, you know, so folks can either get it through the Insane Comics website or through Comicology. And I always ask people, if you're going to do that, if your LCS, your local comic book shop, has a portal for Comicology, please use that. You know, give them a little taste of the money. Don't don't let them lose sales because of that. I always go through my local comic shop's portal for Comicology. But uh, yeah. anything else you're working on? Anything else we should be looking for? Uh, yeah, I was just about to say, uh, hopefully come October or November this year, we'll be uh, getting out uh, Freedom Fighter number five. Oh, okay. Uh, second story arc. Uh, James said we could do it, so we're, we're working on it. The art's underway right now. It's just going to take a little bit to get it all together, but uh, we're shooting for it to be finished sometime around October or November, and uh, uh, that'll be the second story arc. We'll cover issues five through seven, and where uh, the Freedom Fighter is going to end up after the events of the first story. So, All right. And that, you're working with AJ on that one, too? That's right. Excellent. Uh, pretty well. The whole team's coming back on that one. So, Excellent. That's I like that. Consistency. Good. Good. Yeah, that's what we want to try to keep. All right. You're on a roll now. All right. Well, we're, I we'll hope be, so. <laughs> we'll be looking for that uh, and uh, look for an update in the fall. All right. Okay. Thank you so much for being on Creative Talks. Thanks for having me, man. All right, and that was my conversation with Mike Heikeper on his book, Freedom Fighter. And not only are there four issues available at Insane Comics and Comicsology, but there's also a new one coming out this fall, issue number five. Well, that was a lot of fun talking to Mike about not only his comic book, but home renovation. And that's one of the cool things about this podcast is that sometimes it's like the Food Network where we talk about food, or it's like a travel show where we talk about where someone lives and what it's like living there. So I mix it up quite a bit. Like what you hear? Let me know through social media at Creator Talks Pod. That's at Creator Talks Pod on Facebook and Twitter. Also, go to my website, creatortalks.com. That's creatortalks.com, where I have all my previous interviews listed. And you can download there or listen to them from the website. Also, if you like what you hear, subscribe. Again, that's iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher many platforms out there that the podcast is available and so you don't miss a single one and best of all it's absolutely free now i've been doing about two episodes a week that's a lot and it takes away from life at home and so i'll be stepping back and doing one a week on thursdays sometimes another day but i will put out the word through social media to let you know when that podcast will be posting if it's not on thursday for some reason and again, I do want to do more combination interviews where I have two or three creators because that's a great deal of fun. There's a lot of great conversation and synergy among the creators. So I'll be doing more of that. And again, I want to thank all of you for listening and following the show. Well, I'm out of here for Creator Talks. I'm Christopher Calloway. Until next time.